you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And joining us this month to talk about limited collector's edition number C31, Superman, is one of the biggest Superman fans I know, Henry J. Bernstein. Hi, Henry. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. This is your first appearance on Treasury Cast. I'm very excited to talk to you about what is, as we all know, your favorite character, the Man of Steel. I, I can't wait. I can't believe I'm now on my third show. I've talked to you on Pod Dylan several times, but right? this is now my third Fire and Water show. I, I have. I wanted to tell you, I have a confession. Despite being a huge film buff like yourself, I have never seen Citizen Kane, so oh. I don't think I will be on Citizen Kane All right, this, fair this season. All but right. I do. It is on my list. You know, I always look at the AFI Top 100. And like one day, I'll get to all of those on there. Okay. So um, maybe, maybe your pod will inspire me to finally I, sit down I, and do it. Okay, I hope. I so. know the I ending though. Does that matter? No, it does not matter at all. Okay, it doesn't matter at all. All right, fair, <laughs> fair, fair enough, Henry. I, I will. Well, I'll have a confession for you. Um, I will say, I, as I mentioned to you on your last appearance on one of our shows, which was Superman Movie Minute, which, of course, we do with Chris Franklin, um, I revealed to you on the show that Superman is, like, not even one of my top 30 favorite superheroes. And you were very shocked at that revelation. Shocked and, and frankly appalled. Shocked <laughs> and frankly appalled. Fair enough. But I will say this, is that, I, and I generally, like, I mean, I'm willing to talk about any treasury, any of them. I don't care. I love them all equally even the rudolphs so so any book that anybody wants to talk about I, i'm happy to talk about that said you know if i had to pick which treasuries to talk about i would probably not get to the supermans until you know maybe near the, the end of treasury cast whenever that is because like i said i'm just not that big of a superman guy i'm going to gravitate towards shazam or the justice league or batman but i will say on that episode of superman movie minute which was episode nine uh you were such a passionate and eloquent advocate for this character that it made me want to kind of give not give him Superman a second try because I mean I've lived with Superman my whole life but it made me want to dip back into the Superman archives uh and then I thought I thought well this is perfect let's have Henry on a treasury to talk about Superman treasury so part of it part of the reason we're doing this episode is because you were so big on Superman and I kind of walked away from that episode like huh maybe I should try and let me let me let me give this another shot. So we're here to talk about this Superman Treasury Edition. If I can do anything in my life in terms of legacy, it would be to get you on board with Superman as to crack your top ten. Then I've done my job and I can die happy. All right, fair enough. I mean, I, <laughs> I got my my top ten list of heroes is pretty solid, but you never know. You never know. Um, so before we even talk about this book in question, which as I said is limited collector edition number C31. Uh, what is your history with the treasury format? Do you have 
any history with this farmer? Did you have these books? Do you have any of them then? I had one. And it is a holy grail in my comic book collecting. I don't know where it came from. And I've had it since I was eight or nine years old, which means maybe passed down from a brother, but they don't seem to know. They didn't seem to recognize. Somehow I came into possession of the amazing world of Superman, of which which recently was collected right. as a hardcover. Hard and it's gorgeous. Um, and I have the two side by side now uh, displayed. So that was my only experience with a treasury or some sort of oversized. I didn't know the term treasury until I listened to your episode about that issue as an adult. Oh, so wow. like, okay. I, I, I've seen them in comic shops. I, you know, I, I just, I didn't know that that was a thing. They're a little before my time in terms of collecting as a young, a young person, a very young mm-hmm. person. And so since becoming a fan of treasury cast i've now gotten into them like the spider-man versus superman one the the superman the superman versus wonder woman that great uh jlgl pb phbn um cover you know like and and now i'm i'm fascinated by them like what a treasure to have as a child to have a giant oversized comic with a collection of great stories with beautiful art so i just want to learn more about them i'm so happy to to dip my toe into this one i've seen this one around my comic shop had it um a couple years ago and i and it wasn't that expensive but i just i didn't bite on it i i already gotten the uh superman the movie and superman 2 Right, the collector's um, ones, albums, yeah. Those collector's albums. So, like, I don't know. And then I recently asked my comic shop, like, do you have C31? They're like, no, we just sold it. Ah. So, <laughs> so um, I, you know, I, I, I don't say, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to dip my toe and become a treasury collector because my wife will kill me. <laughs> but I'm more interested in them now as an adult. Uh, and now it's not just sort of this mystical thing that I saw once and then I had one of, you know what I mean? Gotcha. All right. Well, that's perfect. Well, I mean, it's a perfect segue. Speaking of gorgeous art, uh, this comic, this book, which came out on July 2nd, 1974, features one of my favorite treasury covers of all time. Uh, and again, you'll, of course, be able to see this on our website, fineworderpodcast.com. This is a painted cover of Superman by Hugh J. Ward. And some of you may be wondering who the heck is Hugh J. Ward. I'll tell you, this actually came from a, uh, a fan of my late lamented Treasury Comics website, a guy named Graham Burke. And he mentioned, he says, this cover was by pulp artist H.J. Uh, Ward, who did sp- uh, stuff like Spicy Detective. It was a commission that adorned the wall of the National Periodical Publication slash DC offices for decades, beginning in the 1940s. You have to give people a DC credit. What do we do with the, what are, where do we put the cover of the Superman? Hey, why not just pull that picture off the wall from the lobby? Uh, which makes total sense. They had this painting and they just grabbed it and shot it and made it the cover. I love this cover. And it is such a shame that Hugh J. Ward never did. This is his sole comic book credit, this cover. Uh, and obviously, you know, he did it. He didn't do it as a cover. He did it as a painting and then they used it 30 years later. But man, I love it. To me, it's like, I want a book of Superman that looks like this. It's so gorgeous. Of him just standing there, beefy. He looks like the Joe Schuster Superman. I, I just love it. Yeah, I had to do a double take and check. Like, I, I thought for a second, is could this somehow be Schuster? Because we're talking 
40 is when the next story comes from, which we'll get to in a second. But um, it looked like Schuster. And then I knew I had seen it on the cover of a novel. And I couldn't remember if it was either It's Superman by Tom DeHaven or The Adventures of Superman by George Lothar. I actually think it's that one. Do you know that book? It's from- I, I've never read it, but I've, I'm aware of its existence and I've seen pictures of it and stuff. Yeah, it's from like 1940. It's it's it was made during that early existence of Superman, and I think it's the same cover. So I don't know which came first, but I, I don't like maybe uh, the artist made it for that that book because hmm. um, I found one copy of that book once in a used bookstore in um, Sun Valley, Idaho, and they didn't know what it was. That's right. That I got it for five bucks. They didn't know that it's a out of print, hard to find. Five like, bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lizzie's wow. like, great. My wife's like, great. Another Superman book. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a treasure. <laughs> she, yeah. Oh my lord. Yeah. Is it? Is it a good? What do you think of it as a book? I because I've never read it. So, um, it's a little stiff, but okay. it's fun reading it in sort of back to back with. It's Superman by Tom DeHaven because you're kind of getting that 1930s, 40s vibe. That book I read and I enjoyed quite a bit. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. I, I still think that would make such a good movie. That book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but man, I mean, to me, it's like it's covers like this that made the treasuries like it. To me, it, it denoted that they were special because you didn't see covers like this on regular comic books. Uh, now, of course, the treasuries would go on and they would just get you know the the, the next Superman treasury has the Neil Adams cover. Not that he's any sort of slouch. But this this cover is just so special. Yeah, it feels uh, special. Then, exactly. Yeah, it just it just it just beams off the the shelf. I didn't. I never had this one as a kid. I don't think. But man, I would it would have caught my eye if if it had been because I just think it's it's just the colors are warm. I love that build of Superman. Just that kind of beefy wrestler build that he's got, and that's he's just looking smiling, and he just it's just marvelous. And so I was like, what? I mean, first of all, they got it for nothing because they're already. You know, they probably didn't pay Hugh J. Ward. He's probably dead by that point. So they just were like, hey, free cover. But it worked out anyway because, man, it's it's just gorgeous. And so, yeah, it's the perfect cover. As the fir- This is the first Superman treasury DC would ever do. So it's the yeah. perfect way to start the book. So it's- yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at it, and it's like, how could you not love trunks on Superman? Yeah. When you look at a picture like this. And even there's a little yellow S on the belt if you, yep. if you look closely. I mean, this is just a... It's special, like you said. It feels today this would be like an Alex Ross cover on a comic. Yeah, um, but this is even more special because it's literally one of a kind. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. So uh, the book inside features a bunch of Superman stories. We're going to get to them uh, very briefly because there are, there's so much to get to. So we're going to keep the uh, synopses rather uh, short. And then I'm going to ask Henry what he thought about these stories. And this um, book leans a little heavily on the early days of Superman, as the cover might indicate. But overall, we do get a little bit of a nice cross-section of his career from 40s through basically the late 60s. The one other thing I want to mention about this particular treasury is, of course, there was the contest, the Superman movie contest, where if you won the contest, you got to appear in a, in a cameo in the movie. And we know that, that the, the young boy, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, who appeared in the Superman movie... Um, there's a picture of him in Amazing World of DC Comics as like, hey, this is the kid that won the prize. And he's reading a copy of this treasure in the photo. Uh, and that was the photo that they used in DC Comics and stuff. So this book has a little bit of a history as it went through 
the annals. I mean, they obviously had this book lying around and gave it to the kid to read. So I like that too. It's always like, oh yeah, that, that's the actual book that it, this kid's got. And of course, that kid had you know one of the. I I never entered those contests as a kid because I was like, I'm not going to win. So what's the point? But you know, somebody actually did win, and man, that would have been awesome for me to be seven years old and appear in the Superman movie. I, I mean, that I always was jealous of that kid because I first of all I was born in '82, so. So I, I never had a chance. chance yeah. I never had a chance for the first two, uh, and obviously not for Superman three either. Um, but but I would read old comics as a kid, you know, random comics I found from the seventies and eighties, and I'd see this ad like you could be in a Superman movie. I was like, well, how 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 can, can they? I, I want to like go back in time and do it and <laughs> enter because I totally would have entered if that had that been uh, available to me. Yeah. Oh, it would have been it would have been so cool. So, okay, let's talk about the first story, uh, which is called Europe at War. It's from Action Comics number 22. It's by Siegel and Schuster and Paul Cassidy. Uh, on their way to cover a war between two nations in Europe, Clark and Lois meet an actress named Lita Laverne. Ah, uh, they all elegant. While Clark initially takes a like liking to her, uh, as Superman, he soon learns that she's involved in a deadly plot to attack a neutral country and drag them into the conflict. Okay. So, Henry, that's the first story. What did you think of uh, Europe at War? It's – I haven't read a Golden Age Superman story in a while. Okay. Um, I've been – you know, I keep up with current comics, and when I'm binging old stuff, it's usually in the 80s, 90s. And I I forgot how much I really enjoy Siegel and Schuster because this was for sure – right, like in 1940, they were still – they didn't have their whole studio yet, or maybe they did, but – I mean, we're, what, we're confirmed that Siegel and Schuster did that one. It looks like Schuster's drawing, and it looks like, and it sounds like Siegel's writing, right? That's who's credited on Mike's Amazing World, and I generally use that site as the official authority. Okay. So yeah. They're usually pretty accurate with that stuff because they know when the change happened. At, okay, fine. So <clears throat> I loved seeing George Taylor, his la- the last appearance of the Daily Star before, mm-hmm. in action, before in the next action comics, it changes to the Daily Planet with no explanation. I love the simplicity of the art and, and the simplicity of the dialogue. Everything is straightforward and to the point. Um, you know, even the layouts of just eight panels. Yeah, grid, 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 grid. It, it's not bad. It's not less interesting. Um, you know, it's like Dave Gibbons wasn't the first one to do that in Watchmen. <laughs> and right. this is how a story is told. And I love Schuster's crisp lines. You can appreciate this as a graphic designer. There's something, um, he has such an understanding of composition and visual hierarchy. Like if you just look at page four, the way all those in, in the third panel, the way all those people are crowded around behind but around clark but behind him there's a and then the the person giving him the message is in the foreground but in shadow like Mm -hmm. for for a kid that was growing up drawing on cardboard with charcoal freezing his fingers and not having poor eyesight he understood how to draw and i'm just so I, i appreciate that so much more than i did reading golden age stuff when i was younger one of the things I did enjoy, I like Joe Schuster's work too, although I have found that depending on the inker, um, some, some, sometimes this stuff gets a little too loose for my eye. Uh, I'm not familiar with Paul Cassidy as an inker, um, but I like the way – I like his inks on, on Schuster. Um, it gives it a slightly more lush look, uh, which I like. One of the things I thought was funny when reading this story, because and you'll see it again in the second story, is like 
they still it kind of reminds me a little bit of like 70s superhero television where like they felt that the superhero element had to kind of be like the spice not the main thing and so it's like the main story is basically clark and lois doing the investigation and then superman kind of pops in to do some things that obviously they need superman to do but it's like they would soon realize no kids want superman that's what they want. He doesn't, but it's sort of like Clark is the main guy. And then it's like, oh, here's this one thing I can't do. So I'll just be Superman and get that done, you know? And he's like spending time like trying to romance Lita Laverne. And you're like, hey, what, you know, give me Superman. Come on. And then, you know, he jumps on a torpedo and he saves the sub and all stuff. But it's, you'll see that in a couple of these stories where it's like the main thrust is Clark and Lois doing an investigation. And I think they realized not too long after this, that's not what people want. The kids want to see the Man of Steel. I so appreciate Siegel and Schuster having, you know, spent my adult life obsessing over them, you know, reading Superboys um, and, you know, watching the Robert Kirkman uh, sort of docu-series, uh, Secret History of Comics. Did you ever see that? I have not. Oh, check that out. It's called The Trials of Superman. And there's a dramatization of people playing Siegel and Schuster and a documentary, and it's excellent. I, I'm just, you really see that, they were Clark. That's what they were writing. Yeah. They were right. They were writing a fantasy story of themselves, of what they wanted to be. And Clark, and it was, they were Clark and Superman is, I think to them, wasn't the main story in terms of what they were trying to say about themselves. Right. And what they're trying to say about the American immigrant <clears throat> poor experience and I mean, Lois just, you, you forget. I mean, this went on for 30, 40 years. Lois just giving a beating to Clark. She is, I mean, nasty she is to such him. a dick to him. And yeah, in the next yeah. story, too, she's just not nice. Yeah. And, and like reading it, you know, I'm so used to, I mean, since I was eight years old or nine, 10 years old, Clark and Lois have been a thing. They've been together. So I grew up with them as a thing. So reading that stuff now, it's like, wow, she's just not nice. <laughs> and it's not even like because she loves Superman. Right. She not even established she's... that part of it yet. She's just vicious to Clark. She just calls him like a simp. And, you know, she's just like, oh, you're such you're such a weak sister. Like, wow, Lois. Like, geez, yeah. dial it back a little bit here. But, uh, but on the flip side, and on the flip side, you know, and, all, and also, it's so funny how she keeps giving Clark a chance, though. Like, okay, you can take me out din- dinner tonight. Didn't we see that in Action Comics number one? Like, we're at twenty-two. Why? Why is that still going on? Why is she still giving him a, a chance where he purposely screws up because he doesn't want her to make the connection? I think at this point, she's not going to get it, Clark. You're yeah. not. She doesn't think you guys are one and the same. Like, move on. Yeah. Move it's on. And, you know, th- what I want to say, though, on the flip side, the Superman stuff is just bam, bam, bam. It's like you said, it's for kids. It's just this is such a great story because there's the intrigue and spy stuff and romance stuff. And then Superman just punches people. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he literally says, listen to this quote. Confess you and Lita planned the bombing of the neutral vessel or I'll bash your brains out. My favorite <laughs> like, panel. We just he literally says, "I'll bash your him. brakes out." Like, I, I just—that's—that's that's just good. This is a good comic book. I do love old timey Superman just grabbing a bad guy and just shaking the crap out of him. I really, I really do enjoy. It. I like roustabout Superman. I, I yeah, really find is, that's fun. 
this is right in the middle of World War II, so like you get a little bit of that taste, you know, this this fictional country. Superman doesn't like spies and and uh you know, and the access of evil and gangsters. He's just, he just punches them. Yeah. And then he exits through the wall, the hole in the wall oh. that he just punched too. He's like, yeah. all right. All right. You got, I got you guys to confess. See you later. And he just finds out that hole. It's great. Yeah. It's your problem. Now you fix that hole. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's so great. I really enjoyed, um, enjoyed reading it. It was, it was, it made me kind of feel like a little kid again when I had, you know, I grew up with, um, before I had comic books, I had Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Uh-huh. So I just read those stories over and over again. That was super, whatever was in there was Superman to me, which is great because I got a taste of Schuster, Al Plastino, Wayne Boring, Kurt Schaffenberger, and then, of course, the great Kurt Swan. And so with Neil Adams covers. So, you know, that's what I knew of a Superman. So reading that it kind of made me feel like like a kid again, reading a Golden Age story for the first time. Perfect. Great way to start a treasury. Absolutely, you know. Um, so uh, there's a Superman puzzle page, uh, which is clearly a puzzle page that they just borrowed from some puzzle book, and then they just slapped Superman's stock art over it because there's no connection to Superman. Other did you than try to says, do it? No, I did not. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's like it's just Superman puzzle page. You're know, like, well, that's just that's just that drawing by. I think it's um do you know who did that drawing that That's the cover drawing? of Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Right. It's and it not, was in the ad for that kryptonite where you could buy the kryptonite rock in the 70s. Right. The it's not one. Wayne Boring. Could be Al Plastino maybe. Al Plastino maybe? Yeah. Um but it, he did Al Plastino did the barrel chested like Wayne Boring, but yeah. Wayne Boring had the jaw, the thick jaw yes. and long long yep. faces. Yeah. So So this is yeah clearly just they had a you know, so some other national periodical publications had like a lot of sister publications that uh, they probably just grabbed this out of a puzzle page. They're like, all right, we need it. We have an extra page. We got to slap this in there. All the random things that Max Gaines and were trying to, find, you know, get in 1937 yep. before they found Superman. Yeah, let's see what takes <laughs> off. And yeah. This comic book thing will work out. So um, the next story is the life insurance scam from Action Comics 29. This is by Jerry Siegel and Jack Burnley. Uh, Clark and Lois uncover a conspiracy to poison the residents of a small town for their insurance money. When Lois finds out the real culprit, Superman has to step in to save her and stop the crooks. So, like I said, this is a similar thing of Clark and Lois going an investigation, and we spend a lot of time with them. And then when there's something needed, he Clark becomes Superman and steps in and basically beats up a bunch of regular people. Um, so what did you think of this story? Okay, another story from 1940, so I really enjoyed that. You know, it makes me sad seeing art by Jack Burnley, because I'm wondering what's happening at this point. Now, was he credited in the actual issue in 1940, or only when it was renewed in 1967? I highly doubt he was credited at the time. So that's kind of, so that's cool that they, they, you know, because in those early days, they didn't credit. You just read the comics at all. And so he must have been... On Schuster's team in that, you know, amazing Schuster studio that, and so, but it also makes me sad because it means Schuster's probably, his eyesight was probably going already at this point. Mm. And that's 1940. And it also means that in in just a few years, they're going to sue and lose and then they're out. So that kind of stuff makes me sad just knowing that. But Mm. what a great opening panel splash page with Superman just busting through. I love when they tell you what's going to happen in the story. Mm. You know, tune into this later. Um, 
this felt like a radio show. Like the story that yes, totally. like if, if Jimmy had been involved in this, you could see Jack Larson getting involved with the the poison and the pills. And it just felt like a, one of those. And that's a compliment I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's very talky, not in a bad way, but it's a very talky. And it's a it's like a mystery that Clark and Lois have to sort of because you have to figure out who's the, po- you know, who because they originally think it's somebody else is the poisoner. And then they realize somebody else is doing it and the reason why. But yeah, I agree with that. Um, there, there's one of my favorite panels in the in the story. It's page 26 of the actual comic. It's the uh, penultimate page of the story, and it features great comic book collapsed time where many events are happening all in one moment. And this, the bad guy is shooting the other guy, and he shoots the guy right in the panel. He says, "As a matter, as a matter of fact, I even took a, a policy on your life, and this is why." And he shoots the guy. The guy goes, oh, and Lois goes, you've killed him. And the other guy goes, and you're next, girl. And you're like, oh, that's a place in like two seconds. You know, everyone, there were four different conversations while the guy got shot and Lois reacted and the guy had to retort. It's just like, that's how comic books work. You know, it's just, everything has to be taking place in like three seconds. Like, I, I think probably Lois wouldn't have had the temerity to have that thought while the guy was getting shot. She probably just screamed. But, you know, you have to condense all this really fast. And then what happens in the next panel? Superman busts through a wall. Bust in. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is just like walls. you could see George Reeves doing that. This could also be an Adventures of Superman show of, George, you know, yeah. a George Reeves uh, episode. That's why, why I mentioned Jack Larson before. Um, um, but uh, I just want to say something about the art. You could tell it's in the style of Schuster, but it's a little cleaner and crisper. Yep. Um, and maybe it's because the, you know, the colors are punched up too, but there's just a, there's less of that gritty vibe that Schuster had, which I like. Um, but there's like these, like, and Superman's no different. This is leaping tall buildings, you know, uh, Superman. This isn't like the super duper, you know, the overpowered, not yeah. overpowered, but, um, and the other couple of things I wanted to say about it was, I've never been a fan of Lois being a complete jerk to Clark. Right. But there's something comfortable about it when you read it. Okay. It's, it's familiar. It's like, okay, like she's like, she's being a total jerk to him again. And also why couldn't Clark just tell her the pills were poison? Why did he have to pretend to bump into her to knock them down? And yeah. then when he's picking them up, say, Oh, they're poison. Why can he just say, like, what was he worried about? Again, mm. I don't think she thinks Clark and Superman are one and the same. And, and lastly, Superman, uh, when he saves her later, he says, it's getting to be a habit. How many times has Superman saved her at this point? Like, we're in 1940 already. He saved her in every single issue. Of course, it's a habit. <laughs> like, yeah, this is, this is Action 29, and there were like, yeah. what, three stories in every issue of Action? So uh, They or, know or each other Superman? pretty well now. <laughs> well, like 29 times three. You know, so it was yeah. like, this is like the 90th time this has happened. <laughs> yeah, but so it was just kind of fun seeing that, that era, that age, and again, just kind of soaking it in and taking it in for what it is, which is just a good, solid mystery golden age story. One last thing I want to mention, I, I was surprised. I liked the, the art by uh, Jack Brindley as well. Yeah. But I noticed the um, Superman's S shield. Um, I didn't Watch realize it. that this late in the run, I mean, 29 issues in action comics, it's still moving around. I yeah. mean, here he's basically got a pizza slice <laughs> with an S 
uh, his chest. Um, That's I amazing I, I, and I delicious. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize S is for Superman, S is for Scottos. Uh, I didn't. I just didn't realize that the that the, the sort of diamond shape um, had not come in. That you know, I know that it shifted. If you look at like the covers of Action Comics, it shifts from cover to cover. But I just thought by by this point, it was more. You know, fig- they, they they knew Superman was a massive hit, and they wanted yeah. to trademark it and copyright it. And I always assumed that by this point, it, they had cemented it a little further along. But no, it's still still right. kind of in its proto stage here. Right. Like it feel it feels like by the time they they launched Superman the next year in '39, that's because it was a massive hit, and so they had they were like finalizing the look. And I feel like by then. Superman, the the S was already in a diamond shape, but maybe not. Maybe it was mm. still <laughs> the pizza slice. I'm going to call it that forever now, Rob. That's sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's no. awesome. It's what it looks like to me. Um, yeah. So, okay. So the next, uh, after the second story, there is a bonus feature, which is a two-page uh, spread, um, uh, a, a how to draw Superman by Kurt Swan. And it's a little a tutorial about how you would draw Superman. Now, I will say, uh, as someone who has uh, uh, done comic book art, not professionally, but attempted to do it, um, nobody draws like this. Nobody, nobody draws figures like this. Uh, you don't start that way and then build it up. But, I, but for, the, for the sake of teaching young kids anatomy, it's helpful to show, okay, you start with shapes and then refine the shapes and then you turn it into you know, the final version. Um, so it's a neat, it's a, it's a neat feature. I like it a lot. And of course, Kurt Swan is the perfect guy to do it because he was the Superman artist for, for like several decades already by this point. And it's so it, I enjoy it quite a bit. It's a nice feature. So you got Superman posing, Clark Kent in his suit, Superman taking off and then Superman flying. So it's, it's cool. This is the kind of stuff that I love the treasuries for was this kind of bonus material. And on the treasury, that would be really helpful to actually, because if you had like an, maybe a piece of tracing paper, you could put it yep. over, you know, and it'd be it to scale. Um, yeah, I'll say a couple things about that. So um, we've talked about this o- offline, but I have an art background. I went to uh, Indiana University to study studio art. And um, I actually taught a comic book art class this year to third, fourth, fifth, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you, for teaching, I teach how to draw the way that um, how to draw comics, the Marvel way taught me, you know, Stanley and Sa- and uh, John Buscema and he, doing it in that, in that stage, you know, drawing first the lines mm-hmm. then the shapes, then the sort of beefy shapes. And then all of a sudden you get to the finished product. Bang. The finished version. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the students got really frustrated with it, but also they learned how to draw if they asked me to sit down and draw Superman, I would just sit down and draw it. Yeah. Um, but it is a good way. It is a good way to learn how to draw. And I loved this stuff as a kid. Cause that's how I learned how to draw, you know, and I love, like you said, Kurt Swan, here's how to draw. The, when I read this, how to draw, it's how to draw the Kurt Swan Superman. Yes. Yes. It's just said, it's, it's a really, it's really cool. I love the little bottom of the best of luck, Kurt Swan. Uh, I just thought yeah. that was a, that was a, a nice touch. Yeah, it's, it's it's fun, and as you said, it makes sense to when you do it as a treasury. It's easier to copy, which is what little kids did. You get your get your paper out and you try and copy it exactly 
the way you see it in the book. So yeah, I, I love this. I love this kind of stuff. This book is chock-a-block with some great bonus features and we'll get to those in a moment. Um, so the next story is the men who had to guard Superman from Superman number 60 by Bill Finger, Wayne Boring and Stan K. After Clark Kent has heard the secret formula of a dying scientist, he must be under surveillance 20 for 24 hours by secret service agents. Now, this is similar in that it's Clark and Lois doing another investigation, except as I'm, you know, I, this is just a guess, but like I said about the previous stories, maybe they didn't know that Superman was the main draw by this point, but by Superman number 60, they do because Superman shows up on page two of the story. They're like, get right to it. You know, I mean, like, we'll figure, we'll do Clark and Lois investigating stuff later, but bang, let's get Superman busting heads already. And that, of course, that's what you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, love the Wayne Boring era. Man, that chest of his. Exactly. So that's George Reeves' Superman, right? I mean, that is... They're 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 one and the same. I I prefer a slighter Superman. I like Christopher Reeve, Brandon Ruth, Tyler Hecklin kind of build. Um, when when it comes to Superman, however, I have a deep appreciation for that barrel chest because of that uh, '30s to the '70s Superman book. There's a great. I think um, Al Plastino draws the the one where Superman and Batman meet each other for the first time on the cruise ship, if you remember that one. World's Finest Comics number 76. There you go. And then I think Wayne Boring does the Bizarro one in there where it's like there's the uh, Bizarro baby maybe. Maybe that's a different one. But there's a Bizarro story that – oh, and he does one with the the three villains of, of uh, Lex, Toy Man, and – prankster all trying to team up to get superman that's and it's like a great classic bonkers silver age wayne boring um story but what i really wanted to say is little known fact bill finger wrote a lot of great superman stories you know just like how he co-created the best parts of batman right he also wrote he was a great dc guy and he i i'm glad that now they they finally you know, give him his due. It says Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, but I still feel like he doesn't get enough due. You know, Bob Kane took up so much space for so long that, and and really taking, not like Stan Lee with Kirby that who like, he didn't take credit for things that wasn't his in the same way, but like Bob Kane was like, I created Batman. And here we, it was such a pleasure to see a story written by Bill Finger here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun it's a fun story. It it features a similar ending of Lois being vicious to Superman where after he shows up at the end he says, uh, "Ouch, I nearly uh fell. You know, I felt much safer when I had those bodyguards." And Lois says, "Clark Kent, you're the original timid soul. No wonder I prefer Superman." I, all right already. Jeez. I know. And in the first panel she calls him spineless. That's yeah. just a straight up insult like you wouldn't say to your coworker, "You're spineless." Well, it depends like, on your coworker, but, but I get your point. No, but you'd have to have a talk in HR. Like, I mean, I know it was the '40s and things were different, but even so, it's you know, let let's say she doesn't, she's not romantically interested in him. Okay, we get it. Now you got to work with the guy. He's been here two years already, Lois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the fastest and, you know, by the way, Perry White has ever seen. John Byrne wrote her the same exact way at the beginning of that series. That's true. Too. That's so, true. so she might have had to have a talk with HR in at the Daily Planet <laughs> at that at that point. By, by yeah. the way, um, uh, this story uh, you're seeing the development of 
it's the same kind of idea that it's like a, almost like a mystery plot that Clark and Lois have to solve with Superman getting involved. But you're seeing that the development of the powers, because at the end of this story, Superman is juggling cars. He's literally <laughs> carrying two giant cars and just kind of like, woo. And you're like, the, the, the Joe Suster Superman could not do that. He, he punches a rocket. <laughs> yeah, he was not that strong. In the, in the in the early 40s but by this point he's literally throwing cars in the air and as you say punching rockets so yeah, yeah. the 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 overpowered if you want to say that superman is is we're well on its way <laughs> yeah it's it's great i mean that's the way boring superman you know yeah. juggling planets with that big body you know it's it's believable there's something about it that's believable if you buy in <laughs> One comment about the Wayne Boring Superman is that he is, as we said, ridiculously barrel-chested. Um, I remember in the uh, the old Marvel comics, Captain America used to pretend that he had his shield on his back under his coat as Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, you're like, wait a minute. It's a whole shield. Nobody notices this giant cylindrical thing on his back. <laughs> And they died. This Superman could carry that on his back. He's that yeah. big. <laughs> yeah. He's that big. Nobody would notice it. Like it's the, the Captain America's shield would actually fit within the confines of Superman's frame. Yeah, does he like suck in his own chest when he's yeah. Clark? I mean, I know in the forties they yeah. had those big gigantic suits that hung down the double breasted, but even so, I mean, Clark even looks massive here. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's crazy. The the panel where he takes his shirt off and it becomes Superman, you're like my God, like how many shirts is that? It's like, that's like five small stitched together. Cause no, there is no one shirt that's that big. Right. Like what is he? The Hulk now? Yeah. He's just massive. <laughs> Wayne Boring just went nuts with that. So, okay. After that is okay. To me, this is the crowning jewel of this treasury and is a bonus feature. It is a, uh, <laughs> it is a four page feature about the supposedly proposed, Superman future, which is a theme park, a Superman based theme park, which it's called a concept for Superman's future. Now, I have no idea whether this was ever really proposed. I highly doubt it. It's drawn by Neil Adams. You'll again, you'll see this in the gallery. And the reason I don't really I think DC was kind of, you know, playing fast and loose telling kids that this might be a thing because if you look at this thing, the proposed budget of this thing in 1970s money would have been about $3 billion. I no, where would this ever have been made? This okay. <laughs> so first of all, with the killing they made on Superman in 1978, that they could have built us after that. Um, <laughs> um, second of all, I mean, Warner Brothers owned it by that point. You know, Warner Brothers, it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, Warner Brothers was just as big as Disney and everything else at that point. It, it, but what I'll say is when I saw this thing, I immediately thought, I want to go to there. Oh, right yeah. Now. Oh, my God. Yes. And, you know, like, I'm excited once we plan a Disney trip to go check out Avengers Academy and the Star Wars land. Like, I, we've been talking about that since before the pandemic. But, I, that's what I want with this. I want a Superman land to go to as an adult right now. This thing is absolutely amazing. At uh, the, the, the initial two-page spread, you uh, the customers would enter under a giant, what, probably 40-foot-high statue <laughs> of Superman. Um, it looks uh, like the one in Metropolis, Illinois. 
it is unreal. In the background, we see the fortress, a, a scale, a, you know, a human scaled version of the fortress of solitude, complete with the key door. Uh, there's a, a, a key that explains whatever, what you're going to see. And then on the next two pages, it shows you all the exhibits, including the hall of villains, which feature giant 20 foot statues of the parasites and Mr. <laughs> Mixes Pitalik and Luthor and Brainiac. Then there's like an outer space. There's like a, um, a trip to outer space. Then there's a, this hall of like uh, Superman. There's like the interplanetary zoo. There's the you Jor-El can walk through the keyhole. You can walk through the keyhole. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I understand Henry that that Warner Brothers owned everything here, but the, the, you could not recoup the costs of building this thing for thirty years. Uh, I mean, I mean it, you know, yeah, you, this could get done today. Like if they looked at this and, and decided they wanted to do this um, at their you know, Hollywood studio lot or something. They could do it. They could do this. It is just, oh my. And Disney course, would do this. I mean, Disneyland is like this. This is the, basically, yeah. I mean, I mean, you can, I mean, seriously, like right now you can book a trip and go sit in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. That's an actual thing that exists. And, and that's fun for kids and for adults, you know, putting adults in quotes, like uh, adults like us, but, yeah. um, they could do this. I mean, Warner Brothers has got enough problems. They're not going to. But I, this this reminded me of something. Is this is this in also the Amazing World of Superman? No, it is not. It's not. Okay. Nope. There's something else in there about a theme park because there was a planned Superman land yes. in that was supposed to be in Metropolis, Illinois, and something happened, like the gas shortage or some some international tragedy happened, not COVID, but something else in the 70s that like where they, they shelved the plan. Mm-hmm. But I think Metropolis, Illinois was originally supposed to be a Superman land that is designed in that amazing world of Superman, which I thought why this was this seems familiar to me. But I guess it's a different theme park plan. Yeah. I mean again, and I mean of course it's drawn by Neil Adams, it looks mouthwateringly exciting. There's even <laughs> there's like a Superboy like you can go to Smallville uh in there. And I mean the again the idea you know you mentioned the the Millennium Falcon going into Millennium Falcon. Yes, I mean but that is based on Star Wars, the property. The idea that you would build an entire theme park around one character and his history is unprecedented. It just is. That's and true. It's, it says something about how popular Superman was well into the 70s, that this was even something they would even remotely consider. Of course, nowadays, if you did something, it would be, you know, Batman land. But the idea that Superman's history was so rich and so deep and so of interest to a vast cross-section of America or even the world that you could build this thing. Uh, it's just, I love it. It's, it's, it's preposterous that they would ever consider building this, but man, yeah, I want to be in, I, as, as Liz, Liz, Liz Lemon would say, I want to go to there. Yeah. Cause it is just so gorgeous. Uh, one day, Rob, one day. One day. It's, and again, this is why I love this treasury. I mean, this bonus feature is just off the chain. Great. It's if great. Disney bought, if God forbid Disney bought Warner brothers and truly became an evil monopoly that they are, they would they could do it they would have the resources and the play and the space to do it i don't think they would but Probably. they could they could you put it right but, next yeah, but, to I, the, but I, uh, avengers but you, uh, training academy exactly but like but what you said i, I think was very that uh, kind of brought me back down to earth um sorry no 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 i i think it's good because 
yeah, that, that would be unprecedented to do something around one, just one character, right? Like you could, like it would be really cool to have a DC land where you sure. go to Metropolis or Gotham and Krypton and exactly right. And oh, uh, City, Amazon yeah, Island. Yeah. Atlantis. Be pretty cool. Atlantis. Yeah. Be pretty yeah cool. And uh, wherever uh firestorm lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, but like to, to have a whole Superman thing. But I don't know. I could. Wouldn't you love to go to Metropolis and Krypton and the Fortress of Solitude and Smallville? That's a whole. Like he has a lot in his. Yeah. Yeah. In his canon. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot there. There's a lot there. It would have been it's in, just amazing, just amazing idea. Um, so next up is another story: Lois Lane's Secret Helper from Superman number one forty two by Otto Binder and Kurt Schaffenberger. Uh, this is all about crypto as crypto tries to play Cupid by tricking his master Superman into proposing marriage to Lois Lane. Um, okay. I mean, you got to go with this or you don't because this whole story is told basically through crypto's thought balloons as if crypto thinks like this, but that's, we have to establish that crypto can do that. He's that yeah. smart. Um, yeah. and as drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger, the whole thing really works because it's really cute. Um, is it, this feels like it could be an episode of like the Superman cartoon, right. like the filmation Superman cartoon. Uh, and it even ends with Superman waking at the camera, uh, which is fun. Uh, but I love the idea that, that crypto, uh, wants Superman to have a mate, you know, that right. he's like, we have to build like a, a proper family. So I'm going to, I'm going to trick my master into proposing for Superman. It's just very cute. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you said at the beginning, you could either take it or leave it. I'd prefer to leave it. I, I mean, I, I actually like crypto and I think crypto works for me. I'm, I'm actually okay with crypto. I don't worry about like, it's not unrealistic to me in within the world of Superman that his dog can think human thoughts and has superpowers. I, I don't know why right. I mean, it's more unbelievable that Krypton has the same species of yeah. canine and they're humans or that like, that's more unbelievable, but like, I'm okay with it. What I can't stand is that whole 30 year period where Lois is just sitting around pining for Superman right. and being like weepy about it. It just, the whole basically, and I know that series ran for a long time, the low, the original Lois Lane series. Yeah. That's what I thought this was from. I was actually surprised to learn it was from, it's from Superman, Superman comic. Yeah. And that's, but that's to say a lot of those Superman comics in the sixties were like that too. This just sort of like fifties nuclear, leave it to beaver longing to have that. And like, also at this time, what was the deal with Superman and Lois? Like, were they together? Did they go on date? Like, cause they would go on dates sometimes. Like, did they hook up? Like, what was their deal? Like, it just, I never got that. It didn't seem plausible to me. And I know, and I'm take, saying that, you know, that I know that none of this is possible, <laughs> but you know, what, what was their deal? I think, I think this Superman was basically kind of sexless, you know, like he never really, Right. Expressed great interest in Lois other than, you know, you know, I like you, Lois. And that was it. Like, that was the extent of it. But, yeah, Lois is basically uh, basically Lucy from, yeah. uh, you know, but, just but not scheming funny. all the time. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yes. Like, where um, she loses her total drive. Like, I would even prefer her to be an asshole again, like in <laughs> the, the Golden Age, than, than this. This just sort of demure, timid, sad, needing a man. You know, there, there's a there's a brief thing in um, in the Mike Carlin era where af, right after Superman um, reveals himself to to Lois in that act, action comics, um, the, like the, the the Silver Banshee attacks right away, right. 
And and then Superman gets thrust into time and time again. He keeps bouncing through time. And during that is just like a, a an hour period of time where Lois is just sitting on her balcony pining for Superman Clark and hoping he's okay. Like she's got to get to work, right? Like there's a story to tell somewhere. And so that's, that's the thing I don't like about the, about this story. I love, I love crypto. He's adorable. And my kids love crypto. So, but I just, I don't want Lois Lane like this. I want Lois Lane to be busting down doors and pissing people off. <laughs> they could, they couldn't publish uh, Superman's asshole girlfriend, Lois Lane. They couldn't, couldn't make that as a book. It's, <laughs> You know, comics code authority problems, Henry. That's so they had to do Right, of course. It. Yeah, so, I know. It, it, so Friedrich Wertheimer is keeping tabs on yeah, everything at this yeah, exactly, time. So exactly. Yeah, we're like deep um, yeah, deep into that McCarthy crap. Yeah. yeah that's right. Uh, so the next <laughs> there's another bonus feature, I think called Cartoon Flips featuring Superman, which is just two drawings of Superman, one where he's lifting a barbell, like a giant uh, metal weight, and then he's putting it down, and another one where he's crushing a um a steel girder, and the whole idea is you're supposed to cut up your issue of limited collector's edition number C31, and you just put the drawings on top of each other, and you just flip it, and it makes a little animation. Don't do oh. this, kids, because this book is kind of valuable now. You don't want to ruin it. I, okay, so first of all, I, my only note for this was, what the hell is this? Because I, I didn't understand, like, am I supposed to fold the pages, which I wouldn't do either? Like, how do I, and now I say I actually have to cut it out, which brings me to a, we'll come to it later, but later there's a thing that they ask you to cut out too. And I, I have to ask, were people doing this? Like, I grew up, from, my dad collected, my dad is the whole 1950, 51, 52 tops set. So like the 52 mantle. Like, wow. like Now they all have damage to them not because he put them in the spokes of his bike or left them in a basement, but because back in those days in the, in the forties and fifties, they didn't have plastic sleeves. Sure. So he would tape all of his cards to a scrapbook, which he thought was being more meticulous than his friends who were putting them in a shoebox. And so they're all in mid condition with the exception of this yellow tape at the top. Oh man. That is all to say, did people do that to their comics? Like, yeah, I, I know people rolled them up and put them in their back pocket. Like, and you know, you see that in like Back to the Future and stuff. But like, did people cut up their comics? Yeah, yes, they did. They did. They absolutely did. They, when they you were a kid, were people still doing that? Yes, like in the seventies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never did it, mainly because I was lazy. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the die cut diorama, which we'll get to at the end of the ep- uh, end of the segment, uh, they were just too much work. You know, for me to sit there, rah, 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 you know, I just didn't care enough to do it. I was never that. I never made models. I didn't care about that stuff. But yeah. it wasn't. But Same. I didn't. I didn't think about comics as like valuable, or that you know they, they should be in some sort of good condition. Yeah. So I, cu- I cut coupons out of comics. I mean, the really? Very, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The very first issue of Action Comics, the back, the last page of Superman's story features is on the is on the flip side of the first page of another story that's in black and white. And they had a contest for kids to tear out that page and color it themselves and send it in. In the first issue of Action Comics? Yes, yes. So you had a a generation of kids who tore up Action Comics number one, tearing out the last page of Superman's story so they could win, I don't know, like a war bond or something in 1938. (laughs) A war bond. You know? (laughs) Whatever. I don't know, some sort of like punch a Nazi flip book or something. But yeah, I wow. mean, think about it. that was what, that's what you did. 
because these things weren't. And it's ironic because, of course, the treasuries with their accelerated price point and their their uh, at least Marvel with their square binding, um, these things were you know kind of aimed a little bit as a, at a collector. So right. you would sort of imagine, well, maybe collectors wouldn't be the people that would cut these up. But obviously, DC didn't think that because they ran these die-cut dioramas on the back cover for years. But was the intention for kids to cut them out? Like, I feel like on a Treasury comic, maybe it's an old ad that they're putting in out of nostalgia or something. No? It's uh, like- yeah, this is pro- – judging by the art, which looks like, again, like it's Wayne Plastino, Al Plastino or something. Yeah. I was combining two people, Wayne Boring and <laughs> Al Plastino. Uh, yeah, this is probably something from an old Superman comic. But the, the one later, the, the the die cut things. That's like, that's new, that's new. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they, wow. they DC kept going with the die cuts, uh, pretty far into the run of Treasuries. Marvel never did it. Marvel was like, no, 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 these are collector albums. Don't cut these up, kids. But DC was like, yeah, all right, whatever, it's fine. Um, so don't cut this up, kids. DC um, been making bad decisions since 1940. Long time, long time. <laughs> um, so the next story is a case of the lethal letters from Superman number 204 by Carrie Bates, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito. After Lana Lang and Lori Lamaris are kidnapped, Superman is forced to announce his retirement, lest Lois Lane fall victim to the same evil plot. Superman then learns that the perpetrator is a female scientist named Lorraine Lewis, who is tired of being upstaged by all the more famous LLs. Because, you know, women be crazy. Uh, I mean... I. First of all, I kept re- reading that as Lorraine Newman and thought, I wish Lorraine Newman had been drawn. That'd be a fun story. That'd be <laughs> yeah. really fun. But, I mean, this is just, I'm sorry. This is just stupid. <laughs> it's just, it's not. I mean, I love Carrie Bates, and I'm not familiar with Andrew Esposito's work. It seems his proportions are a little off. There's a page in which Superman, it's like sort of a sp- splash page in which Superman has a giant fist and giant legs. Ross Andrews loved foreshortening. He loved putting oh. figures in weird positions. There's one shot of Superman flying down and you're like behind his foot. Ross Andrew just oh. loved that kind of stuff. Now I like Ross Andrew depend again, who inked him. He was teamed with Mike Esposito for many years. I'm never, I was never a huge fan of them as a team. I like Ross oh. Andrew as inked by Dick Giordano or some other people, right. but he was big on, taking a figure and sort of being able to move it in any direction and it would look anatomically right. That was I see. See, thing. I like when Kirby does that. And that was the thing that like people at DC didn't get about Ter- Kirby's weird stuff. And I, I like that, but for some reason this, I don't know. It just, it, it seems off to me, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's correct. You know, Ross Andrew is a professional, um, yeah. but I, I was amazed to see Lori, Lemaris or Lemaris, however you pronounce it. How often does she show up? Because from my, again, from the, the book, the 1930s to the 70s, that was my first introduction to Lori Lemaris, that original story that I think Wayne Boring drew, again, coming back to that. Um, unless it was Kurt Swan, I don't remember. But anyway, and then I feel like she's, I, I only ever saw her again in the burn era when she's redone. Was she... Was she a, a semi-regular? Did she – was she a reoccurring character in the Absolutely. Superman? Absolutely, yes. Wow. Like he yes. would go there like I, I like I have a C problem, so I need your help with this kind yes. of thing? She showed up quite a bit. She wow. Really yeah. She was his like Aquaman friend? Kind of, yeah. They would always – yeah, yeah. Did they seen. reference their love affair, their, their romance? Not always, but 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 often, yeah. Yeah, there are a bunch – yeah, she, she showed up 
you know, for as much as you can work a mermaid into any given <laughs> story, <laughs> she showed up quite a bit. Uh, my favorite bit of this story is it's so goofy. It's just such a goofy story. The giant LL. The, the like. idea that, that she's upset that there are more famous LLs. I mean, what the hell is even that? But what I what I love, yes, the giant flaming LLs, which is fantastic. But then when Superman breaks into her headquarters and she falls back onto the flaming LLs and her body literally, she literally burns to death. She the, the sound effect is the fa- sound effect is yes. And yeah. Superman just watches her burn. Yeah, it's like the, woo. this treasury cast has a lot of super violent stuff. This one, and then back in the in the second story uh, from 1940, the guy who gets shot at point blank when Lois is like, yep. "You've killed him," and the other guy who gets hit by a car and like a hit and run, yep. and he's lying in the street dead. I mean, there's some graphic stuff. Maybe the Comics Code Authority should have been worried about that instead of what relationship. Batman and Robin might have. Like, <laughs> you know? I, it, yeah, I mean, it really startled me when I got to it that I'm like, wow, it ends with her bursting into flame and melting. Like, uh, woo, dark. Like an, it's like an EC comic or something. Like, what? Yeah, f- and then it's was... over. Right, like I yeah, can see over. like that's R. A, yeah. Crumb drawing that with like her skin burning off, you yeah. know, but, but then that's it. Then the flaming L and, okay, guess Super, Superman rescues Lori and Lana and he's like, all right, well, we're done. Like, okay, that was... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> like, jeez. Okay. Weird. All right. Carrie Bates was in a violent mood that day when he wrote <laughs> So, um, so then the, uh, the final story is the origin of Superman. And I don't need to give a plot synopsis of the origin oh. of Superman because everybody knows what it is. It's by E. Nelson Bridwell, Kurt Swan, Murphy Anderson, the team of Swanderson. This is reprinted from the amazing world of Superman treasury, which you mentioned earlier, Henry, oh, okay. which makes this one of the only examples I can think of of a treasury reprinting another treasury. That did not happen very much, but wow. they figured they had a couple of pages to fill. And if it's your Superman treasury, why not do, why not retell the origin one more time? I was wondering where I knew this story from. So that's it. I mean, not where I knew the origin of Superman from, but oh, this I, specific, familiar. <laughs> right, uh, this, this specific uh, story, but I noticed a couple things. First of all, it was interesting that, Carmine Infantino did the layouts first. Like, did Swan need someone to do layouts first? And I don't think I've ever seen their art combined before. I mean, you, Infantino had a very specific style that doesn't seem to match up with. So the layouts must have literally just been outlines Probably, of the characters. Yeah. Like he had an idea for how this was going to look because Swan and Murphy Anderson, like that's, that's the the dream think, team. Yeah, I think they could handle it. Right, that, right. Like you know, you plug anyone in there with Swan, Giorgiano, uh, Giordano, Nick Giorgiano. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the the last thing I want to say about that was from the credits. E. Nelson Bridwell did the dialogue. It says so. Who wrote the story? I, you know, it's kind of like, funny. Does it when just, you, is yeah. it just mean like, oh, this is Siegel's story that we own now? I guess yeah. I F never you, thought about Jerry that, Siegel. You, yeah, I never thought about that. But you're right. I mean, basically, this is Jerry Siegel's story, and so Bridwell can't get credit for it. He didn't write it. It's the right. origin of Superman. So yeah, because, I never even thought because about Siegel that. wrote the origin of Superman in the '50s when they brought him back to do Superboy, and he he is sort of it, it's an it, an amazing thing, and he sort of wrote like wrote it as you know DC Comics was like the Kryptonian Council, and like he sort of you know, wrote his own story into that. 
but Siegel made made up the origin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and both times, both in that one page from Superman number one and in the in the fifties later. So, is this a reprint of that because Swan was doing? pencils already in the 50s or is this a new story that appeared for the first time in the amazing world of superman treasury as far as i know it it's it's original to the amazing world of Superman. wow wow because i looked that up on mike's amazing world and it is not listed as reprinted from anywhere else so i think it's it's original to awos and then here it is reprinted a couple of years later that's awesome yeah yeah it's cool i get it's a nice way to end it uh a lot of it takes place on krypton i mean it's It's basically like half Krypton, and then then it's Superman showing up. Uh, so yeah, it's again, it's a nice, nice, fun it's little a, way to end the book. It's a good, and it's a good, um, it's a good origin. Like there's a lot of emotion from Jor El and La- Leaves Smallville, yeah, yeah. Like the 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 devastation of Krypton exploding. You know, it's sort of reminiscent of that scene from uh, Superman the movie yep. that you guys talked about on Superman Movie Minute of those bodies falling and it's yep, horrific. Yep. And you know, the hugging, I like when Jor-El and Lara show a ton of love for Superman, where it's very clear that because they love him so much, that's why they are giving up this great sacrifice for him. And that is, you really get that here. I mean, sometimes when Swan draws, crying it just sort of looks like the same face with the tears coming down but <laughs> here there's a lot of passion and emotion lara is like really sad and um you know th- th- that devastation is nice i'm not a fan of versions where pa or pa dies i don't like pa and ma dead i'm i'm a burn era carlin era guy like that and i certainly don't like the on the deathbed clark becoming superman thing i just i don't like it i okay uh, it works for me in Superman the movie because of those performances, but in comics, I want the Kents around. And, gotcha. I, and this is so. And I'm sorry, the the farewell Superboy will never forget you with the giant cake. I just can't stand that stuff. Like, what was Superboy doing in Smallville? It doesn't make sense. Why was he the the mascot of Smallville? It it just why did people put two and two together? I know Siegel wrote that stuff, but still. <laughs> S is for Superman. S is for Smallville. Come on, come on, Eric. You know how it works, right? Uh, as we previously mentioned on Superman movie minute. Superman movie minute. So, uh, so yeah, that's the final story of the treasury. And then there's two more bonus features on the inside back cover. There is Superman on the screen, which features some stills from the Superman TV show. And I will say, I loved this stuff as a kid because growing up in the '70s, as I did, the Paleozoic era. Uh, I, unless you saw the reruns, which I did. Um, this stuff is hard to find. Uh, you know, the Batman, they did Batman on the screen and they, they showed the, some of the, the movie serial stuff there. Like a lot of this stuff was really impossible to find because there wasn't home video. And unless it was running an afternoon somewhere, it was pretty much unavailable. So it was, I loved all these live action versions of the characters done in uh, a photography because it was, it was just like, where else do I get to see this stuff? So I, I like this feature a lot. It was great. I mean, First of all, it, it just this is a, this was a nostalgia ride for me for many all the reasons I've um, mentioned, including the Lone Ranger and the Adventures of Superman were on back to back on Sunday mornings when I was growing up on WGN, which is in Chicago is a local station, and other places it's a super station like TBS. And that was my introduction to George Reeves. I'd already seen Superman the movie from age three, but. My, and my dad and I watched it together, and he would tell me this is what I watched when I was a kid in the 50s 
Lone Ranger and, and Superman. And I was just like amazed that like, that was what you got to watch when you came home from school, the Lone Ranger mm-hmm. and Superman on TV. Like I didn't get to do that. So I've really like fond memories of, of watching uh, George, the George Reeves show. And it was just nice to see that in here and see that connection between the comics and the George Reeves show. Cause you didn't get that with the Batman. Cause you know, I also watched the reruns of Batman sure. and they didn't rep- they didn't put stuff like that in Batman comics. The, direct referencing to the Adam West show, even in the sixties when Batman was kind of silly. So it was, there's sort of like a different universe. I don't know. It just feels like the Superman show was more, I mean, maybe because they said he's appearing in action comics magazines in, mm-hmm. in both the radio oh, show and that card at the end. Yeah. 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 Which was, which was, which was a carryover from the radio show. Yep. So yeah, I love this too. This was, uh, th- this is great. I, I love, you know, it's not my favorite version of Superman, but it's a great version of Clark. Noel Neal is iconic. Jack Larson, as I mentioned before, the whole gang. It's great. It is my favorite version of Clark Kent. It's not my favorite Superman, but it's my favorite version of Clark Kent. I like right. the George Reeves Clark Kent, which is slightly like a tough guy. Yeah. I like I like that a lot. He's a really good reporter. He's super sarcastic. And the winking at the camera about how, like, Lois doesn't really know what's going on mm-hmm. is great. Like, he he's super confident. I love that. He's not falling over himself. Um, yeah, George Reeves did a great Clark. His, his Clark was better than a Superman, kind of like Dean Cain. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I have I have nothing nice to say about Dean Game, but let's let's move on from that. Um, so I, book, I, I have very little nice to say about Dean Game. He sucks. Um, yeah, <laughs> the book uh, the book ends with the tabletop diorama, as we mentioned earlier, where you're supposed to cut up your comic book. Um, and is this uh, on harder paper? Is it like a cardstock? Yeah. See, that's oh. the other thing is that like you mean it, this is impossible to do with any real accuracy with scissors. So you would be best to use like an exacto knife, but what kid had an exacto knife? You know, like those were not. You know, you had those in art school. I still have one, but it's not something that generally you came along with because they were super sharp. You don't want to give a little kid an exacto knife, and um, there, it features a line drawing version of the pose from the cover. Um, I can't quite tell by the style. I think it's Dick Giordano from the inking. It feel it looks like Dick Giordano to me. It's like Giordano doing a, a gloss on on the, the front cover, but it's just Superman standing in front of uh, presumably Metropolis, this sort of sky blue background. And you're supposed to cut out the white areas, make these little slits, and then you bend the background oh in there. And, you know, they're not, I've, I've actually tried to make a few of these. I have, when I like back when I cared more, I would buy a treasury that I already had, or excuse me, already had. If I could get it for super cheap, because right. all I cared about was bin. the back cup. Yeah, exactly. So I buy the back cover and then cut it up. And they just, they're just, they're not sturdy. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're just not. They, they don't, they don't, the paper just doesn't hold together that well. So yeah, no, but don't cut these up, people. Just Kids, leave the cover the way it is. Don't cut up your comics. I mean, I teach my now four year old how to read, how to, how to hold a comic. And I've, because I've been teaching my friends for years and they're like, can I see that? And grab it out of my hand and then, take their thumb and bend the page over to turn the page. I'm like, no, you, you take your two fingers, you pull the corner gently, <laughs> you know? And so I've been showing, so like, I would never tell him to cut, cut this up. I mean, this something I would do with this. If I was a kid, even as a kid, I would take it to my mom's office and make a Xerox. 
right. and 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 then and cut it out and color it like with the I, I remember with the with the back cover of the Superman from the 30s to the 70s it's that really nice S uh, S shield from it's like sort of an Al Pacino S it's a little curved. I would make Xeroxes of it at my mom's office and then color them in. And then I had a Superman chess symbol. Like mm-hmm. I would never cut up the actual cover of the book. It was a different time, Henry. I don't know what to explain to you. I mean, it was <laughs> Nixon was president. It was a rough time. It was a rough, rough time. Um, you're kidding. So you're not kidding. Altogether, this is a really fine collection. DC would go on to have Superman headline nine more treasuries uh, in one way or the other. I mean, yeah, Batman had a couple, but Superman had nine. Uh, and that's not even counting the famous first editions of Superman number one and Action 27. And action, so I guess yeah. if you count those, that's 11. Um, but did uh, Batman th- also have, um, it was like, was the untold legend of the Batman? Is that, was that a treasury? No, that was a mini, range uh, standard size miniseries. Standard, and um, what about, um, what's the, what's the, what's the big, like, Neil Adams version of Batman that's in a, in, in well, a there, there's the Ra's al Ghul storyline. Yeah. Uh, that's in there. Um, so that was done, that was done as a treasury. Um, that was collected in number issue um, C51, which we actually did uh, an episode of Treasury Cast about. Um, so that was collected. But Superman headlined a lot. Of, he did before that he raced the Flash. He fought Wonder Woman, as you talked about. He fought Muhammad Ali. He fought Shazam. He fought. Oh, I have that. I have that. And I have it signed by Neil Adams. Sorry, I forgot about. Wait, I, which one? Muhammad Ali? Yes, yes. Um, Very in the lead, Henry. I, I know. I'm completely. How could I forget? And shout out to my wife who bought it for me as one of the best presents ever. I, it was about five years ago before we had children. I had had like some, she had been away for a really long time, like several trips in a row. And I just never saw her. And we lived above, we lived right above a comic book store, my, my comic book store at the time. Like, I know it's my childhood dream in my adult, um, what in my adult sort of not nightmare, but like, you know, if my checking account nightmare, (laughs) um, yeah, we not literally above it, like comic book shop uh uh and then two doors down was our apartment and we lived on the third floor second floor i know was I it there, there and, when you moved in yes she had already lived there and i was like lizzie when i moved in i was like lizzie you live next to my comic shop like literally where i go to buy comics oh my lord like, oh chicago comics yeah those are nice guys and so anyway fast forward like a year later she would have gone a while and so as like a present coming home she went down in there and she's like what would henry really like and they knew me so well they pointed you know from like the big wall where like the nicer comics are and they pointed to muhammad ali and she bought it for me and um and then and then a year uh two years later i was at a con at c2e2 and neil adams was there and even though he was charging 30 dollars per autograph because he's neil adams he's neil adams uh he talked my ear off about the cover um and and signed it and extraordinary I have it framed in my in my bedroom. I'll take a picture and send it to you. That's amazing. So that so sorry, I forgot about that. Of course, the Muhammad Ali one. Jeez, Henry, I'm like Lord. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, bearing the lead. Oh, I forgot to mention the time I met Christopher Reeve. Come on, (laughs) jeez, Henry, my God, that's amazing. Well, uh, good on your wife. That's that's great. Yeah, this is a super. I mean, if I. I just don't have it in me to carry books around and get them signed just because it's just more trouble than it's worth. But man, yeah, if I ever saw Neil Adams at a signing somewhere, yeah, yeah. I'd probably have to get him signed one of these treasuries because, yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, Superman was, you know, a genuine, you know, huge um, treasury star. Superman sold. 
I two mean, minutes we, old. We forget know? that. Like, you yeah. know, in the era of like everything has to be Batman all the time. We yep. always have to go back to it. Superman was their number one guy yeah, he was a for movie. a long time because he was the first. There's a reason why super, there's a Superman. There was a Superman statue in the lobby of DC Comics for decades. There was not a Batman statue. It was a Superman statue. There's a reason for that. You know. Have you so, ever uh, been able to take a tour of DC Comics? I did, and I no, I've been to the. I went to the one in New York a you few went to times years before they. Moved. I've never been to Los Angeles. No. I got a. I got a tour a few years ago. I saw ago. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael Bailey said, "I'm so freaking jealous of you," or something, and that good good idea. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, so I got to sit there with that Clark statue. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So. Overall, like I said, uh, it's a really solid collection of stories. It leans a little heavy on the early 40s, but you have to remember, kids didn't have access to those comics back then. Those were really rare. And so, you know, they had to, they wanted to kind of dig up this, this between the cover, uh, the 40s cover, it does have a kind of 40s golden age feel to it. Um, they would do later collections where they would focus on other uh, eras of Superman, but here it's kind of the 40s ish 50s superman with a little bit else thrown in but overall it's a really solid book it was great i loved it i mean i love any excuse to read old superman comics and i don't get that excuse that often because like you know even though i walk past you know on my bookshelf the golden age omnibus issues you know uh volumes one two three and four like i don't open them up and look at them so it was nice to like now i might go find all those stories in there with those with the high gloss pages and 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 read them again Right. Fair enough. So, uh, well, uh, Henry, I mean, geez, thank you so much for, for doing this. As I, as I said, when you were on Superman movie minute, it kind of made me feel almost a little bad that I put Superman <laughs> so far down on the you list. You should feel bad. Shame on you. He's uh, as Henry, Lois Henry. said in the last, uh, in a couple episodes of Superman and Lois ago, she said he is the first and the best. All right, Henry, take the win. All right, you got you got me to do this. Just take the win for people. I'll take it. I'll take so, it. okay. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm glad that I could help introduce you through the show to the wonder of the Treasury Edition. Um, but of course, you know, your wife helped you do that too by buying you that Muhammad Ali comic. Um, but why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Sure, you can find me at Jewish Comics Pod. Um, I host a podcast called Funny They Don't Look Jewish, which I've had the pleasure of mentioning a couple times on Rob's shows, so thank you. And if you've checked us out already, thank you so much. And if you, for some reason, are interested in two uh, nice Jewish boys looking for explicitly Jewish content in superhero comics, so like superheroes who canonically are Jewish, like The Thing, or Kitty Pride or Kate Kane, Batwoman, um, doing Jewish things, then this is the podcast for you. It's called Funny They Don't Look Jewish, and we're at Jewish Comics Pod. And I also do a podcast about Superman and Lois on the CW called Superman and Lois and Pals, and you can find us on Twitter at Superman Pals Pod. And that's it. All right, outstanding. Now, I will say, and this, (laughs) forgive me this transition, Henry, but speaking of Jews, uh, (laughs) Henry and I are going to be doing another podcast together, which is an episode of Pod Dylan, because, of course, that's featuring the work of famous Jew, Bob Dylan. Um, and, One of my favorite Jews. And uh, Yeah, absolutely. And breaking all tradition, Henry, of here on the network, both episodes that you're guesting on are dropping the same day. So there's oh going to be two episodes on the Fine Water Podcast Network, that, that's already special that we're dropping two shows at once, but both will feature guest appearances by you 
So that is, I, I doubt that fee will ever be uh, accomplished ever again. It's just the timing worked out exactly right. So you will be, if you enjoy listening to Henry, uh, the pod, you'll, you can hear him on this, today's episode of Pod Dylan. And you, of course, you just heard him on Treasury Cast. So, yeah, there's uh, all sorts of uh, Jewish content flying around here on the fire. There you go. Well, uh, you know, just wondering which one's the evil one. You know, shoot us both, Spock. <laughs> him. No, him. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, again, check. I'll shave my beard so we have one that's an evil one and one that's not. <laughs> Your agonizer, please. Uh, so, so, yeah, check that out, everybody. So, okay, anyway, thanks so much, Henry. We want everybody, I want you to stay tuned. We're going to play some podcast promos. And when I come back, I'm going to do some listener feedback. Did you know that Michael Bailey hosts a podcast? Yeah, I host or co-host a number of podcasts, actually. Did you know that Michael Bailey releases his podcast through the dark web? Now, that's not true at all. I release my shows on the regular internet. I don't even know how to get to the dark web. Did you know that Michael's financing comes from shady donors who make up a cabal of people that like to kick puppies and kittens. What are you talking about? I'm pretty much self-financed outside of a modest Patreon that I produce no extra content. Did you know that Michael Bailey supports free podcasts for everyone and also works on his shows with potential foreign spies and anarchists? Of course I support free podcasts for everyone. And Andy isn't a spy of any kind. Bethany and Allison are hardly anarchists. And Jeff... Okay, you may have me there. Jeff is a little out there. Why would you support such a man by listening to his podcast? All right, that's enough of that. Can we, can we get rid of creepy voice guy? He, he's not working out. He really just isn't. You can't get rid of me that easily. I'm a scary voice that is meant to frighten people into... Okay, okay, that's that's better. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Bailey, and I run the Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. The Fortress is a collection of podcasts that I either host or co-host, all housed in a single place to make things easier on me. The shows in the network include From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I host with Jeffrey Taylor, and is all about the Superman books published between 1986 and 2006, the Overlooked Dark Knight, a non-index index show, which is a Batman podcast that is about Batman stories hardly anyone talks about that I host with Andrew Leyland. Views from the Long Box, my comics-centric podcast that has been online since 2007. And the newest show on the network, The Superman and Lois Tapes, which I host with Allison and Bethany and is all about the CW series Superman and Lois. The network can be found at www.fortressofbailytude.com which also houses one of the web's largest repositories of information on the death and return of Superman from 1992 and 1993. You can subscribe to any of these programs through Apple Podcasts slash iTunes or through your favorite podcatcher, either a la carte or through the Master Feed, which has all of the episodes of all of the shows. The Fortress and its shows are also on Spotify, if you're into that sort of thing. The Fortress of Baileytude Podcasting Network. Doing my best to relieve boredom since 2007. The music on this trailer, Delay Rock, and Political Action Ad are by Kevin McLeod and are used under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Did you know? Oh, shut up! Welcome, one and all, to the Fire and Water Racetrack and Arena. 
Please direct your attention to the center of the track where you will see 36 buses lined up between two ramps, a tank full of live man-eating sharks and a high wire stretching over it all. The rocket cycle is warmed up and all the nets have been removed. Who would attempt these stunts just to entertain and inspire his audience? What kind of man? What kind of hero? There, coming in on a rocket-powered skateboard, it's the death-defying human flycast! Join me, Max Romero, and a rotating roster of guests as we dive headfirst into the colorful comics of Marvel's The Human Fly. The Death-Defying Human Flycast is a limited episode podcast spotlighting the adventures of a man who comes back from a crippling auto accident to become a mysteriously masked stuntman with a mission to inspire others to never give up hope. We'll also talk about the real-life Human Fly, a daredevil with a murky past and a desire to be the best stuntman in history until the day he just disappeared. The actual human fly would vanish as suddenly as he had materialized, but not before sparking a comic series featuring what would be the wildest superhero ever. Because he was real. The death-defying human fly cast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's gonna be wild. And we're back with listener feedback, and this is the feedback we got for the previous episode of Treasury Cast, episode 58, talking about the Marvel Treasury ads with my guests, Greg Arujo and Sean Ross. So let's get to the comments from the website, finewaterpodcast.com. First up, Martin Gray. He says, what a treat of a Saturday morning to find a new Treasury Cast, not just a regular edition, but the most offbeat episode of them all. Ads for Marvel Treasuries, I never saw that coming, but goodness me, I'm glad it came along. And two great guests came with it. Sean and Greg are such charm pots. Seeing all those ads really did bring back memories. My favorites were the Holiday Grab Bag and the Spectacular Spider-Man one, which used the same template. So much copy. But who doesn't love a scroll and a starburst? And thank you for including the Marvel UK entries. I agree, a yellow background really makes the words and pictures pop. What were they thinking with that ugly orange background and Western saloon font for the Christmas issue? Heck, what was a grab bag? Was a grab bag a Christmas stocking? How was a comic a bag? This was the first time I'd come across holiday as a synonym for Christmas. Thanks so much for the nod as to the Marvel UK ads. These adverts did indeed go on the back covers. And if I remember rightly, the editor back then was Neil Tennant, future pet shop boy. Well, Marvel UK's first couple of titles, Mighty World of Marvel and Spider-Man Comics Weekly, had a few color pages along with the monochrome ones. By the time of these ads, as the weeklies were all black and white, so yes, these were back cover deals. Note that while the term Treasure Edition was on the covers, it wasn't used in the copy. Treasury Edition wasn't a thing, but they liked the word spectacular. That might be because uh, the DC 100-page spectaculars made such great inroads in the UK market. While I did indeed run down to my newsagents, my copy was never there. I didn't see a single one. Cracker Barrel was a shop. In the UK, it was a cheese. It's the FF towel for me. Says Martin just hitting all the various uh, notes on the episode. Uh, those heads in the tiny Superman versus Spider-Man sequel are weird. Spider-Man at a very strange angle and Superman looking like he's from the Golden Age. If I were the New Jersey education authorities, after seeing that page, I'd have closed the Joe Kubert school. Martin, come on, what are you doing to me? Uh, working backwards, Cracker Barrel, yes, it was a store. It was a restaurant, uh, it, but they sold a lot of cheeses. So I think that was kind of their, you know, I mean, they had lots of different things, but cheese was like their main thing. Uh, regarding the grab bag, yeah, in, in America, grab bag just means uh, a loose collection of somethings. It doesn't, uh, you know, the, I think it comes from the idea of like, 
a bunch of random toys in a bag kind of thing. So I think that's where grab bag comes from. But yeah, in, in, in America, grab bag, when referred to as a comic book, just meant a random collection of stories that don't necessarily have a, a theme, even though, of course, in Marvel's case, they're talking about holiday stories. Anyway, Sean Ross follows up uh, with uh, a comment on Martin's comment where he says, Martin, I need more information on the Marvel to Pet Shop Boys connection. I love the Pet Shop Boys. And then Martin responds with, I remember back when I was a kid seeing the name in the imprint, Indicia, and it would say, edited by Neil Tennant, member of ABC. By the time Neil became a pop star several years later, he edited the seminal UK pop lyrics and interview mag smash hits in between. The excellent ABC had been having hits for a few years. I thought it hilarious that the former Marvel editor who had been a member of something called ABC was now in the charts alongside, but not a member of, ABC. That probably tells you all you need to know about me. ABC stood for Audit Bureau of Circulation. Marvel UK was a member, not Neil. Yeah, thank you, Martin. That's amazing. Edo Bosnar says, ah, yes, it's always a good day when I see a new Treasure Cast episode on top of the FW page. Uh, I love the out-of-left-field topic, and it prompted a very fun and fascinating conversation. I remember seeing most of the ones you covered in the show, but I have to be honest, even though I was definitely a Marvel boy back then, for some reason, the DC Treasure ads were more deeply ingrained in my brain. An example of this would be the ad for the Batman treasure that contained the original Reza Ghoul saga that Adams cover with the apparently dead Robin and Batman crying in anguish over his body. Such a memorable image. Also, and I think I mentioned it before you covered the book in question, the DC house ad for the origin of supervillains and Batman actually got me to plead with my mom and let me send away for them, which also touches on something you talked about in the show. They were delivered in a sturdy cardboard mailer, which I kept to store the books in. I'm assuming that if you had a subscription to the Marvel treasuries, they would have been similarly packaged. On the pronunciation of the Micronaut Acroyer, I'm also of a certain vintage, so I recall that the TV commercials were the toy line, and the name was always pronounced the way Rob said it. I'm wondering what the source of that alternate pronunciation is, because I've never, ever heard it anywhere. I also think that Treasury Guest music is my favorite fire and water theme as well. If I never said it before, my compliments to Mr. Dobb, Chef's Kiss. I absolutely agree there, Edo. I, just, I love the Treasury Kiss theme. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that the Treasuries came in a mailer. That's great. Uh, because, you know, the book was like a dollar fifty at that point. You don't want them getting destroyed. So that's cool that the Marvel spent the extra money to send them in a, in a nice sturdy mailer as opposed to just a paper envelope. They would get destroyed. And Mike Dynas says, I really enjoyed the show. This was a fun idea and something I'm sure we've all seen in our younger years. Old comic book ads, not just treasury ads, could be a show in and of itself. I'm still waiting on that nuclear sub for kids. Greg and Sean were great guests and added some great stories from their youth. I also like the checkbox for Battlestar Galactica, Rob. I mean, if you didn't check the box, would they still send it to you anyway? Quote, you didn't check the box, kid. Our hands are clean. I also enjoyed the text they used in the cutout parts of the different ads. Okay, you've convinced me and closed his dollar amount. I'm a serious collector, honest. By the hoary host of Hoggett, I can stand it no longer. Please rush me, dot, dot, dot. Marvel was the master at advertising their product, and they didn't miss one inch of space to keep plugging you to buy their product even as you were buying their product. Which leads me to the t-shirt beach towel ad. What's Banaka? Here's two blasts from Marvel's past, 10 times better than Banaka. Is that an American thing that doesn't mean anything to this Canadian? And speaking of American things that Canadians don't have access to, did anyone visit those superhero stores advertised at the bottom of those ads? It was great to hear about Heroes World. If they would have been amazing to have a dedicated comic toy store in the 70s, like you guys talked about, I also looked everywhere for comics when I was a kid. Most of the time, you could find them in drugstores, in the rack of those three packs. But sometimes you could find them tucked away in a bunch of different stores. My favorite was a used bookstore that had piles of comics on the floor in the back. Pretty much said, these things are junk, kid, and they'll never be worth anything. I would very much like to hear the follow-up DC ad show if that can be requested. You guys did a masterful job talking about some 
Fantastic ads. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, regards to your questions, Binaka was a breath spray. It came in a little uh, glass tube with a little pumper at the top, and it just sprayed it into your mouth, presumably to brush, uh, freshen up your breath uh, before something important. Uh, you saw it on TV a lot in the 70s. It was a popular product. I don't remember exactly what the connection was to Marvel. It might not have been anything. It was just like a popular pop culture reference. Yeah, that's uh, that's what uh, Banaka was. In regards to the superhero stores, that's what Heroes World were. I don't know why they were referred to as superhero stores in the text, why they weren't just called Heroes World, because that was the name of the store. So, yeah, that's what they were called. I mean, when you, knew, when you walked in, it said Heroes World at the top. Um, so why they weren't, uh, you know, why the text doesn't uh, say that, I don't know. But that's that's there was not a separate store called Superhero Stores. They were all just called Heroes World. So that's what we were talking about. And, yeah, they were really... They were really fun stores. Uh, Chris Franklin from our very network says, great show, guys. I love these types of discussions. We should do more of them on the network. They are fun and very interactive. That Spider-Man from the British ad is lifted from John Romita's cover sleeve to the Spider-Man, a rock comic album. Oh, man, I forgot about that, Chris. I even have it. It's simplified with flat colors, but it's the same image. Also the inspiration for the art on Spider-Man's Mego packaging. Thor is taken from the splash of Journey into Mystery 83, his first appearance. Cap in the Holiday Ad is indeed Steranko and lifted from the cover of a non-Marvel book, His History of Comics, Volume 1. And Chris uh, provided the graphic there. And, of course, that's also a treasury book. Uh, I believe there were autographed copies of Superman vs. The Amazing Spider-Man signed by Stan Lee and Carmen Infantino, the two publishers of the company at the time. Seems like I recently saw something on that. Those beach towels are awesome. I wouldn't use or wash them either. Looks like the Spider-Man comic advertised as up-to-date checklist of Spider-Man is indeed an index, not to be confused with the later series of official Marvel Index 2, dot, 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 series from the 80s. Uh, man, those jigglers had me convinced for years there were Migos of Doctor Strange and the Red Skull. And yeah, Cupid Spider-Man always looked kind of odd, but not usually this odd. Rob, as we previously discussed, in 1986, I passed up an end cap of minty Mego Spider-Man figures for Brave Star, so I feel you. Uh, I have to be the co-host of Mego Memories, though, because... Obvious reasons. Yes, Chris. We could never do a Mego show without, without you involved. That would just be wrong in so many ways. And probably bring down the, bring, uh, uh, bring about the destruction of the network. Uh, Dallin Bumgarten, uh, concludes, uh, the comments with A++. What a great episode. All one and three quarters epic hours of it. Yes, I'm an easy mark. Heck, I enjoy a three minute episode devoted to treasure comic television commercials and radio spots. But even so, as much as I anticipated enjoying this episode, I enjoyed it ten times more than that. Sean and Greg were incredibly entertaining co-hosts, and I strongly recommend the three of you getting around to recording the DC equivalent episode sooner than later. Rob, I have a question about your Spider-Man treasury towel. Precisely where in your house do you keep it? Oops, that wasn't the question. Are the colors accurate to the original treasury cover? In one of the ads you posted, the cover background looks pink, and in an ad I came across just this morning, the cover background on the towel is yellow. It would make sense that the subtleties of printing on cotton back then might facilitate a color change, but these ads weren't always accurate either. Just curious. Keep doing God's work, and I'll keep worshiping at the altar of Treasury Cast. Well, thank you, Dallin. Um, yeah, the towel that I have, the colors are relatively accurate to the to the cover. Uh, the, the towel I have is faded a bit, but uh, they're pretty much what you see on the cover. So I think they were recolored for the ad because uh, that had to be presumably kind of done by hand. Um, the, you know, black and white stats and then colored, but yeah, the, the, the towel I have looks pretty much like uh, what you see the cover of is just a, a lot faded, but yes, as Chris suggests, I will never actually use it or wash it because I don't want to get it destroyed. I, I love having it. So 
Uh, that's going to do it for the comments for our, the episode uh, 58 of Church Request. I really appreciate it. Of course, I love reading the uh, feedback on the show. And uh, so uh, that, again, that's going to do it for this episode. Big thanks to Henry Bernstein for coming by and talking about Superman. I know he loves to talk about Superman. And so uh, I, that was a great conversation, and I had a blast. I always do with Henry. So, uh, again, thank you. Uh, thanks, Henry, so much for, for stopping by and talking about the LCE number 31. So uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Treasure Cast. Of course, you can find back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Treasure Cast on any podcatcher of your choice. We're always talking treasuries over on Twitter at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Jeff Pollier for his support of Treasury Cast. So uh, thanks very much, Jeff. That is going to do it for this month. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Come back next month. But until then, go big or go home.